Hey, Christ community, uh, we're so glad that you are here. Um, we had a, a tremendous experience this last uh, week as a church um, with quiet waters and opportunity um, to be in the Lord's presence and to hear his voice and to, just to celebrate and worship him together. And um, we had a number of you involved in that and really feel like God is awakening and was awakening something in this body. Part of the reason that we have done Quiet Waters, this is our, that was our second time. Um, part of the reason we've done that is through a connection, a partnership with a church in Knoxville, Tennessee called Two Rivers, um, Two Rivers Church. Okay, there's a Two Rivers Fellowship in town here. So I, it's Two Rivers Church. So um, a partnership with Two Rivers Church. And, um, um, and, and we have the privilege of having um, um, Pastor Brad, Brad Brinson from Two Rivers, uh, speaking to us this weekend. And I'm super excited about that. He, he and his wife, Beth, helped with Quiet Waters and, uh, in just tremendous ways. And uh, we're so thankful they're here. I had the privilege of speaking at his church a couple weeks ago. And uh, he's returning the favor here. And we're really, really excited. Brad um, planted uh, Two Rivers about 16 years ago, and the church is amazing. It's growing and thriving and uh, building programs, all sorts of things, ministering to people there. And um, it's, it's, a, it's just a, a cool church. And Brad is an awesome pastor. He's a good friend of mine, and he's a tremendous pastor with an unbelievable pastoral gift and also a leadership gift and a, and, a, and a sensitivity to the spirit really, really cool combination. So Brad, thank you so much for being here. I want to pray for him. And uh, so Father, thank you for Brad. Thank you for our friendship and our partnership um, in the gospel. And I, we pray for him. Pray that you would fill him now with your spirit. You would give him your words and your message for this congregation. We pray that our hearts would be open to hear and receive all that you have for us, Lord. So bless this man. Fill him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 How about a warm Colorado welcome All for right. Brad Brinson? <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. How about that guy, huh? Would you, uh, y'all have a great pastor. It's uh, just been a great joy through the years to deepen my friendship with, with Pastor Allen and then to come out here this week and to be able to pray with your staff and sit for a little bit with a few of your elders and, and get to see what's going on here. I hope you understand what a remarkable thing God is doing in this place. Do you, do you, I mean, sometimes it's sort of like you, you, you get so used to something, you, you, don't, you don't see it. God, are, God is truly doing remarkable things here at this church. Um, I, well, yeah, go, yes, it is true. Give God glory. Not long ago, um, I was I was uh, had to be somewhere on a on a Sunday evening to speak, and I had I'd finished up in Knoxville, and it was one of those things like during the final prayer where there's a car running outside in the back parking lot, you know, and somebody prays for you, and you race out and you jump in the car because you've got such a the only flight you can get out of Knoxville. We only have two a day, so you know that's that's a joke. We actually have more, but so. So, you know, you, you, you race out, you catch that flight, and you, you, you always have to connect somewhere out of Knoxville. And so it was about the time I got to Cincinnati. I think I was going somewhere in the Northeast. I was sitting there in the airport, and the sermon that I just preached started to catch up with me. And I, I started thinking, you know, about the topic. I'd, I, we'd been talking about how God calls us into places of fear and trembling. Uh, not in a sense of terror, but like... Where we, where we know when we step into a certain uh, response of obedience, 
If God doesn't show up in that moment, we are just hosed. Can any of you relate to this? Right? Where if the, if the supernatural God who's told you to do something doesn't meet you when you obey him, you're, you know, and, and that's, that's the place where God lives in our lives. That's where we encounter him. At that moment when we say yes to him and step into that place where our abilities aren't enough, but our obedience is because he arrives there. So I'm sitting there in the, I think it was the Cincinnati airport, and I, I was just thinking, you know, I don't want to be one of those guys that gets up and preaches sermons that doesn't practice them. So I, I kind of threw out a, a, you know, Lord, is there any way I can join you in what you're doing here today? Is there anything you want me to, you know, is there any mo- anything you want me to do to obey you in this place? And I sat there for a few moments, and then this guy walked up. There was a bar right across from the place where I was waiting on my flight, and there was a ball game on in the bar, and he was waiting for a flight, watching the game. And the Lord just showed me this guy. Have you ever had a moment like that where you kind of notice somebody, buddy, and they stick out to you? And, and I've learned to say, Lord, are you showing me that person? Is there something I'm supposed to, am I supposed to pray for that guy? So I, I you know, kind of looked at this guy for a few minutes, and I felt the Lord just whispering, the Spirit of God saying, yeah. So I was really glad to sit there in my chair across the, you know, and serve the Lord at a great distance from this man to pray for him, you know? And then the Lord said, I want you to go to him. That felt very different, right? I mean, I, so I, I kind of, you know, I, Lord, are you sure you want me to, is that really you or is that my, imag- I mean, I started playing ping pong in my head, you know, and, and, you know, I'm a man of great faith in small forms, you know? Um, so uh, I, I just finally thought, okay, I'll, what do I got? I'll obey the Lord. I walked over, and, and he was standing there watching the game, so I'm kind of standing behind him, you know, like, like a stalker, you know. <laughs> Did, you know, didn't quite know what was going to happen next, and uh, I was feeling, you know, that sort of anxiety come over me, like fear and trembling, like if, Lord, if you, what else? You know, I'll just pray for him right here. And he said, no, I want you to say something to him. And as soon as the Lord, he didn't tell me yet, but I felt the weight of God's love for him and, and God's compassion for him. And I'm standing there in, in this crowded, you know, concourse at the Cincinnati airport behind this man, and, and I'm, I'm feeling God's intense love for this guy, which, you know, I'm, I'm not always the most empathetic guy in the world, so that was really remarkable in its own right. But then the Lord, he just, the Spirit of God whispered to me in that small, still voice and said, I want you to tell him something for me. I want you to tell him that his prayer has been answered, that his marriage will be okay. Now, are you feeling my tension right now? And you're not even there, right? Right? So I'm just standing there like, and this is where my mind goes. Um, Lord, you know, what if he thinks I'm nuts, which is, you know, possible, and then there was sort of this conversation like, well, my flight leaves in 25 minutes so I can get out of here quick if things go badly and I'll probably never see him again. So what's to lose? What's to lose would be missing out on being in the middle of something God's calling me to be a part of and, and walking in the fullness of an adventure that he has for me. So then the next question is, how do you engage a person you've never met before in an airport you know, with a, something like this, you know? So I just thought, I'm just going to, it's going to be messy. I'm just going for it. So I stepped over next to the guy and said, um, excuse me, um, hi. Um, this is going to sound really weird. 
It sounds weird to me just saying it. I was standing over there and I feel like God pointed you out to me and he's had me praying for you for a few minutes and I think I'm supposed to say something to you. Can I have your permission to just kind of say it? Because that for me is obedience right now. The guy looked at me like, you know, a little oddly and he said, yeah, go for it, dude. And um, I just tried to keep it just like I'd heard it. It, it, it. It's, you know, God has heard your prayer. Your marriage is going to be okay. And he was sort of standing sideways to me like, I don't know if I want, and then he turned and his eyes just got really large and they brimmed up with tears and his lips started to quiver. And he said, Come here. And he pulled me over to the side. He said, what? Listen, on my way to the airport here today, I, I, first time I prayed in maybe 25 years, I just, before I left the house, I was begging my wife not to leave me. I was, I was begging her not to give up on our marriage. And I finally cried out to God and asked him to help me. And I said, he's just heard your prayer and he's just told you your marriage is going to be Okay. So we're standing there in the concourse of the Cincinnati airport and people are flying by, you know, it's normal life for everybody else. And we're both just amazed at what God's just done. And I said, can I just pray for you? How do you pray in a busy airport? And, and still, cause I'm all about looking cool. You know, how do you look cool doing that? You know, like, so, you know, I just sort of, um, I'll tell you, you know, so I'll tell you, I, I, he was willing to pray. I said, let's just keep our eyes open, you know, and act like we're having a conversation because we are. So we stood there and, and uh, Lord, you know, would you lead my friend to a fuller understanding of your incredible, rescuing, redeeming love? Would you let him follow you now that you've shown him that you really know him by name and you love him? Amen. And I was ready to run to my gate. I handed him my card, he handed me his, and for several months we corresponded. They started going to Christian marital counseling, restored their lives. Now, then I didn't hear from him anymore because I think my job was all done. So would you guys just let, give God some praise for what he did for that man? Pretty cool, huh? Living an inspired life, you know, experiencing the spirit, it's, it's an adventure. And there are moments filled with fear and trembling. You know, that, it's that place where, where we step out in response to the prompting of God, but then we, we join God in what he's doing in the world. And that's a remarkable moment. It changes us forever, but it also redeems other people. They encounter the God who loves them. When Jesus uh, came and, and began to preach, do y'all remember what he would often say as he would start to preach? He, would, he said it this way. He said, repent, the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. I want to put that in our vernacular. Think in a new way, the kingdom of the heavens, which by the way, in a Hebrew mindset is from as high as you can see all the way to the surface of the planet. That's the heavens. Think in a new way. The kingdom of the heavens is where? Right here. 
God is near. That's what Jesus wanted people to understand, that the God who created them, who loves them, who's pursuing them, he's very near. And after Jesus would declare this, what he would often do is he would begin to to demonstrate the nearness of God, right? He would touch people. He would heal them. He would liberate them. He would restore them. People that were ostracized, he would show mercy and grace to them. He would would both tell and show. He would show and tell. The gospel was never just words. It was also action. It was demonstration. Now, what's, what's often missed for us as we read through the gospels is that Jesus didn't just do this himself. He also equipped his followers to live in a similar way of of show and tell, of demonstrating the nearness and the goodness and the the pursuit of God. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the Bible, Luke, New Testament, Luke 9, beginning at verse 1. Here's, here's Here's just a remarkable account of Jesus empowering others to show and tell, to demonstrate the Gospel. So he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So we see here that first Jesus gave them authority to liberate people from demonic control and the other thing he did was he gave them the ability to heal diseases. And it's clear that they have complete authority over all demonic forces. It's not as emphatic about all diseases in the language, but certainly he calls us to demonstrate or called them to demonstrate the power to heal. And then Jesus sent them on a field trip. It's like, okay, guys, now, you know, this isn't theoretical. I want you to go try this out. So there in verse 3, he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and don't have two tunics. In other words, it's going to be a short trip, but I want you to go utterly dependent upon me. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. In other words, if you go into a small village and someone uh, responds to you and shows you hospitality and provides for you, don't be looking over their shoulder for a a better house with a better cook. Just stay there until it's time for you to go home. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Tell them, God has come. He's come here to speak to you. You've rejected him. It's now on you. And walk away. Luke 9, 6 Uh, He he then tells us this. Read this aloud with me. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Here we go. And they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus taught his disciples to be showing, not just talking about, but showing the nearness and the goodness of God and then tell them about who the God was that had touched them, that had demonstrated his nearness in his power. And then in Luke 9:10 we read, on their return, the apostles told them all they had done. Would you have not wouldn't it be great to be a fly on the wall in, in that moment when they came back and they're telling their holy ghost stories. You know, they're they're they're, they're telling the moments of how God stepped in. You know, like man, I walked into the village you sent me to Jesus and there was this guy and he was limping and you know, I just went over to him and I said, uh, you know, I serve Jesus 
uh, he's the Messiah, and he sent me out with authority. And may I, may I just, in the name of, 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 of God, may I pray for you? One thing you're going to learn really quickly is if people are in pain and desperate, they'll generally let you pray for them. And I prayed for this guy. He walked off. He wasn't limping. In fact, he went off skipping. And these stories were, were repeated over and over again. And, and I, the miracles were remarkable to the disciples, and they were remarkable to those that they, they touched. And the 12 were empowered to show and tell. They were Jesus' representatives. They became his hands. They became his, his, his spokesmen, spokeswomen. And what happens next is, is really interesting. So they had that incredible spiritual adventure, right? I mean, they've seen God do things like they, their mind blowing. It's like, you know, like, wow. They, they come back and they're hanging around with Jesus and they get back in their routine. And then in Luke 9, 38, the account sort of continues. Luke tells us, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, and it convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Now, how does Jesus respond when he hears that? His disciples didn't step into this moment with faith. How does Jesus respond? If you just drag your finger down there to the next verse, You'll see, verse 41, Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Now, when the 12 didn't exercise the authority that he had entrusted to them, Jesus calls them, what does he call them again? A faithless and twisted generation. I, I was curious about this phrase, so I researched it. It's, it's got a history it was as familiar as an old song that you would learn in grade school to the audience that was hearing it. Um, back in Deuteronomy, Moses was instructed by God to teach the people of Israel a song. And in the song, it was declared that if they would listen to the voice of God and obey his commands, that they would enjoy great blessing and that they would be a blessing. But if they didn't listen to the voice of God and they disobeyed his commands that they would be a, guess what? A twisted generation that they would, they, would, they would drift from the very person of God. And as a result, they wouldn't enjoy fellowship with him as it was designed. So here we have a few weeks after these, these disciples have gone out and seen God do amazing things, that now they're standing there when there's an opportunity to assert that authority, and they're like, you know, Jesus, we need to get Jesus. They're not stepping into their, their part. They, they can't or they, they won't. Jesus then turned from the 12 and he said to the man, uh, bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and he healed the boy and he gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. I, I wish I could say that I have nothing in common with the twelve. Right? You ever, you guys ever, you come in to worship and you encounter the Lord and you know things about him and they're like, you're sure of them? 
and, and you go out that day and you start to listen for his voice and you, you enjoy the prompting of the Holy Spirit and you're beginning to walk in the fullness of his plans and you're stepping into that place of fear and trembling because you know that's where God meets you. And you live there for a while and it's awesome. And then like, you know, 20 minutes later, you go back to that, that, that place of the ordinary and you forget whose you are and how you've been sent out. Am I the only guy in this room that does that? Please say, okay. It's, it's one of the great struggles that we face. I'm learning that to remain a person inspired and alive to and awake to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we need to practice that all the time. We need to be with people that are practicing that. And we need to share our, our accounts and our, and our stories of how he's working in our life to keep our faith alive. So let, let's just pause here and see if we're on the same page. Would you agree that Jesus was calling the 12 to live in a place of alignment with his power to express and, 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 and show his nearness and power in the world. Are we, are we in agreement? What if I told you that Jesus' method of presenting the gospel through show and tell goes way beyond the 12? That it wasn't just limited to the, uh, the, the apostles. Turn over to the ne very next chapter of Luke, Luke 10, beginning at verse 1. Luke 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So he's just picked up 72 more. He's had 12. Anybody do math in here? 12 plus 72 is what? It's okay, it's allowed. 84, all right? So that's 42 teams of two. Wow, this is really multiplying. And, and they're supposed to go out and demonstrate the power and the presence of God. This, to this group, Jesus said, hey, the harvest is plentiful. Again, the harvest is plentiful. Please hear this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What Jesus is, is saying to the 84 is, Pray for more people to go do what the 12 were already doing that I'm inviting you to now do, which is to demonstrate the nearness of God, the power of God, to show and tell the gospel. Now Jesus gives them this directive in verse 3. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And again, it's like another field trip. Go try this on. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. I love that part. Why do you think he said greet no one on the road? Because we find ways to stall, right? We'll talk to anybody about anything to hesitate stepping into a place of fear and trembling, right? So just you go where the town I sent you to, I want you to go there with your other teammate, and don't be beating around the bush, get there. And then Jesus told in here in verse 9, he says it again. He says this. Heal the sick in that village and say to them, what? The kingdom of God has, has come near to you. In Luke 10, 17, we read how these teams returned. They came back moping because it was a complete failure. Now, is that what it says? No. It, the 72 returned how? 
with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus then replies in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. What did that look like for Jesus? What do you think it looked like for Jesus to rejoice in the Holy Spirit, in the presence of these guys who've returned, who've obediently stepped into that place of fear and trembling and, and demonstrated the nearness and power of God? Do you think he danced? Do you think it was high fives around the circle? Do you think it was cheers? I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. What Jesus is celebrating is there, are, there aren't like Eagle Scouts and Weeblows in the kingdom of heaven. Right? There, there isn't a class stratification of those who can be used of God because they have a seminary degree or they read some thick books or they speak an ancient language. What God is saying, Jesus is saying is he's celebrating the fact that God will use anybody that will obey him and step into that place where God needs to show up for God to be revealed, who will embrace that moment of fear and trembling so people can encounter the living God. So Jesus is celebrating that. I'm convinced of something today, and I've observed it in my own life over and over and over again. Here's just a true thing. God has not stopped showing up in power. We've stopped showing up to be there to step into the place of fear and trembling. Every time I obey him, he shows up. He's absolutely faithful. My problem is I, I don't always obey him. I'm convinced that praying for the needs of others and demonstrating God's nearness is, is oftentimes as important as the telling. We live in a culture today where a lot of people don't believe that this is God's word. They don't have the foundations that we have of, of truth. They need to have something demonstrated to them so that they can then hear the rest of the gospel story. They need show and tell. And that's why Jesus commissioned you. He commissioned you and me to demonstrate the gospel and then explain it. I had an experience years ago um, Beth and I, before we moved to Knoxville, we lived in Southern California. We pastored a church there. And I had a next-door neighbor named Chuck. I, I loved Chuck. He, he actually, this guy actually traveled. He was, he was on the, the, the team that traveled and played the Harlem Globetrotters every night, got beat every night. He was one of those white dudes that couldn't jump, right? So, so Chuck lived next door to me. He, he, and I, he wasn't a believer. And, you know, two or three times I would try to take a clever run at it, you know, and, and move a conversation to where I could, you know, introduce the subject. And he was pretty sharp. And he just, he like, you know, you know, dude, I went to parochial school. I've heard it all. I, you know, I want to be your friend. I like you, but let's not talk about any of this religious stuff. Let's just, you know, I know you're a pastor and everything, but, you know, just, let's just be my, just be my friend. That's, don't, don't, don't go there. And so I'm praying for Chuck through the years. 
we're sharing power tools, you know, and watching each other's houses, getting each other's mail when we're traveling, and, and uh, we've got to know each other and trust each other at, at some level. Um, one day I'm out in the front yard, I'm, I'm mowing the grass, and between our properties there was this little, this little knee wall about this big, like every California property, I don't know why they have to have a wall between them. You know, so there's this little wall there and, and I'm like mowing along the wall and I look up and Chuck is walking toward me and you can just see in his countenance, he's incredibly troubled. He, he, he was walking toward me because he wanted to talk to me. I turned the mower off and I, I kind of straddled the wall. I said, what's up? And he sat down on the wall and he just, he just started to sob. And then he kind of croaked out that his 16-year-old daughter the apple of his eye was pregnant and he didn't know what to do. And he just sat there and he goes, I don't know who else to talk to. Now, I'm a, I'm a preacher by profession and there was this terrible temptation right then to have a poem, a hymn, and an offering, right? <laughs> to start talking just to start trying to convince him that Jesus would come into the middle of it and provide direction and care and wisdom and counsel. And that was my first instinct, but it was just desperate enough of a moment. And I loved Chuck enough that I shut up and I prayed first. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you know what the spirit of God whispered to me? Be quiet. I knew I wasn't supposed to say all the things I was thinking because there were no magic words. So I've just, this is what the Lord prompted me to do. We're sitting there on this little wall, you know. I said, Chuck, can I pray for you? He said, yeah, yeah, please. I put my hand on Chuck's shoulder and I said nothing. And it was the most remarkable moment I think I've ever experienced because I think I learned more than Chuck did because the spirit of God started to just fall on us without any words at all. He began to demonstrate to Chuck his power and his presence. Because I'm the Bible guy, I'm the Christian guy, I'm the Jesus dude. I don't have to say, he, the hand that was on him was there representing Jesus. And as I just sat there with my hand on Chuck and the spirit of God began to just flow. Have you ever had that moment when the hairs go back up on your neck and, and you sense the power of God? That's not your imagination, that's very real. And I asked Chuck, I said, wow, are you, are you feeling that? Goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> we sat there for probably four minutes until it seemed like the Spirit of God was done doing his work. And Chuck seemed, he just felt his whole body relax. And he'd felt the comfort of the presence of the power of God. And I just said, the smartest thing I've ever said, I said, Amen. Chuck knew all the information. He'd never encountered the presence and power of the one who, who I called God. Now the thing I love so much is God uses people who are without all the answers, without all the words, who will just step into a place of fear and trembling and let God show up and guide them and use their hands, their, their words of affirmation to show his presence and his power. How many of you have heard of the Great Commission? 
just, you know, Bible school. You were like, yeah, man, I, I never miss Sunday school. I've eaten more stale graham crackers than any kid in the world. All right. The Great Commission, it go, it, the Great Commission is what Jesus said to his followers right before he ascended to heaven. And this is, this is what he declared to them. It's a command, and it extends even to us. Go ahead and elbow the person next to you. It's, it's okay, wake up your husband. Even to him, even to you, this is what Jesus said. He came to them, to the, to the disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, as a result of the authority I have, I have it all. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until when? The end of it all. The end of the age. I grew up believing that the Great Commission was about teaching people really good principles of doctrine. And if we could teach people enough about the history of God and, and the accounts of the scriptures and teach them really good doctrine, that that would be enough. You know what that creates? Pharisees. A knowledge of God is a very dangerous thing unless it's attached to an encounter with the living God. Somebody say amen or something. Just pretend like you're down south for a second. I'm convinced that Jesus is calling to observe the same thing he taught his disciples, to observe everything he taught them. And it's remarkable, he brackets the command with this, these two big statements, you know, for the first one, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and the, and the closing one is, and behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. It's clear that, that all of the early followers of Jesus observed this method of show and tell of demonstrating the gospel, not just talking about it. You study the New Testament, and it's, they're, they're, it's all through there. You have Philip, you know. You, you know, remember Philip? You'll find him in Acts chapter 8. Like he, he's, this, he's really the first guy that goes out to do the Great Commission. And he goes to Samaria, and Philip was not a preacher. Do you know what, Philip's, what Philip was? Go back to Acts. He was a logistics guy. He was the guy that made sure the food got to the right people on time to make sure that everybody got, that the, the widows and, and those that had need received, it was meals on wheels. That's what Philip did. But when Philip goes to Samaria, we read, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, this is Acts 8, 5, and he proclaimed to them the Christ. In other words, the Messiah has come. God in person has come to take away the sins of the world, to take away your sins, to restore you to a relationship with your creator. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and what? They saw the signs he did. He just stopped. He prayed for people. He did what God told him to do. For unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice, and they came out, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed and lamed, lame were healed. He didn't just simply tell them the truth. He showed them the love of God, that the kingdom of heaven really is right here. Twenty years later, the gospel was just arriving in, 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 uh, in Corinth, in Greece, 
And it was the Apostle Paul who arrived there. And in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, we read how he arrived with the gospel. This is what Paul says to, 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 to stoke their memory so they'll live in a like manner. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't beat my gums all day long. I didn't try to talk you in to something. I, I, I spoke to you, what? I, I did, for I decided to nothing among you except Jesus Christ, him crucified. I told you, God came in, in, in human form and he died for your sins and he rose again to prove that he, was, he is in fact God. And then read on, verse three. And I was with you, how? In weakness and in fear and much trembling. I stepped into, into this world with you guys and I knew that what God was directing me to do, if God didn't show up, I was hosed. I was afraid. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. It's time for us to step into that place again. It's time for us to head to the office Monday and to ask the Lord, how can I join you here? It's time for us to be in the lunchroom at school and say, Lord, how do I join you here? It's time for us on the golf course with our buddy to say, Lord, how can I join you here? And to simply obey. And in that place of fear and trembling, we encounter God. We experience the fullness of the Spirit. We live an inspired life. You are made for that. And equally important, other people desperately need to encounter the God who is near. Let me pray for us. Lord, would you, in this coming week, would you move us? Would you prompt us? If necessary, would you, would you goose us into a place of responsiveness to you? Would you heighten the acuity of our ears that we could be good listeners? And would you give us the courage to step into that place where you live, fear and trembling? And Lord, would you let us see your glory as we put our hand on the shoulder of a friend and you show up. As we serve someone who has a need and you show up. Lord, would you let us demonstrate your gospel and then explain it. The kingdom of heaven truly is at hand, Lord. Would you let us walk with you in it?